first, I guess it actually ended our whole series in Revelation just this past week. And I don't know about you, but that series was intense and it was amazing, wasn't it? It was amazing. And if you haven't, if you didn't go through it with us, maybe you're new here, maybe this is your first time with us today, I want to encourage you to go back and check it out. You can visit it at christjourney.org slash messages, and you can go back and you can watch all of those messages in that Revelation series, but it was eye-opening, it was, it was quite fulfilling working through that very difficult letter and coming through the other side of it feeling like, okay, we've got, we, we kind of understand it. We kind of get this. We, we know where we are. We know what we need to do. And as Christians, we need to live with the end in mind. In fact, last week, we, we finished the book of Revelation with the last words written in the New Testament. Words that say this, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all of God's people. Amen? Amen. This is, these last words in the book of Revelation both bless and commission every listener, every hearer of God's word, every follower of Jesus to live in the way and in the movement of Jesus with the end in mind. And what is the end? The end is that one day, God the Father will draw all of God's people and all of his creation and put them back into right with him. That is where all of history is moving. We are all moving in the direction of eventually living as restored sons and daughters with our Heavenly Father where there will be no more break in relationship because of sin, no more break in relationship because of the distance between heaven and earth, but rather we will live as one in the holy city all together, as one people with our Savior. And we will live in the rhythm of Jesus in that way while being able to see Jesus eye to eye. How amazing. That's the end. But we get to glimpse the end here and now whenever we live in the way of Jesus here and now and we allow God's spirit to come alive in us when we go on mission. Just like our students went just this past week to Nashville and the Bahamas. Welcome back. When we live on mission in the rhythm of God's way in us, we get to experience a glimpse of that end here and now. And one of the ways that this illustrates for me is the first day of ninth grade health class. Not what you would think. Um, in fact, I've, I really tried to forget a lot of what happened in that class uh, in ninth grade. But I'll never forget the first day of ninth grade health class when Coach Hanlon walked in, sat down in his, what looked like a throne, and said to all of us ninth graders in the class, in a deep, raspy voice after coaching wrestling for probably about 200 years at that point. And he said, I want you to state your name and what you believe is the most beautiful sight in the world, which was kind of a strange request coming from this burly wrestling coach, 
you know, with this big old deep raspy voice. And so one by one, students in the class went through, beginning in alphabetical order, and they said, oh, the mountains, and oh, butterflies, pretty butterflies, and the ocean, and you know, all these things that, yeah, I mean, they're really beautiful in and of themselves until we got to the letter H and Coach Hanlon stood up. And he said, my name's Coach Hanlon. The most beautiful sight in the world is when one man leaps over another man to make a one-handed catch for a touchdown. <laughs> and at that point, I thanked God that my last name started with the letter R. Because, and I think every guy did after the letter H, because we just said what Coach Hanlon said. What coach said? We weren't going to say a butterfly. We were just going to say what coach said. And truly, when you think about it, man, that is a beautiful sight to behold, is it not? When one man leaps over another man to make a one-handed catch for a touchdown, you might remember the scene last year on the Miami Dolphins when Mike Gusecki made that one-handed catch over the Bulls for the victory last year. I mean, that was incredible. In fact, Gusecki made a couple of really good plays last year. Did he not? There we go. Hey, the Dolphins pulled it out like the last eight games of the season. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Some of those because of Gusecki's one-handed grab. But, you know, not, not because I'm teaching on the platform today, but I truly believe that one of the most beautiful sights to behold in this world is when the church lives with the same kind of intentionality and urgency as Gusecki did when he caught that one-handed ball. Man, incredible. When the church lives on mission with that kind of intentionality, that kind of urgency... Literally, the powers of hell cannot stop that church from moving. And it's incredible to me. I mean, it, it brings tears to my eyes. I'm starting to hear stories coming out of the Ukraine about members of Christ's body making themselves vulnerable to pray together. Incredible stories. Too many to go into right now. But what we see in the Gospel of Mark is Mark write about God's movement in this world through the Son, Jesus Christ, with that same kind of intentionality and urgency. We see it all throughout Mark's Gospel from literally beginning to end. In fact, as you read Mark's Gospels, we're only going to be able to look at a couple of chapters over the next few weeks. But I want to encourage you to go and read all 16 chapters of Mark. It won't take you long. It's a short Gospel. It's the first words written in the New Testament. The Matthew, uh, God, uh, Matthew's gospel is the first one listed, but Mark's words are the earliest words, and Matthew and Luke looked at Mark's gospel to help give shape to their gospel. And so if you want to get to the heart, the earliest words of Jesus's movement, read the gospel of Mark. And as you'll notice, Mark just clicks by play after play after play after play. He, he, it's kind of like he's writing it like a sports commentator would, would write the plays in, uh, on a, in a game. I mean, it's just one after another. It's nonstop. Mark doesn't get caught up with genealogies like Matthew does. He doesn't open his gospel like with different layered imagery like John does in his gospel. He doesn't begin by setting the context. He begins with God's movement in the world, and the whole gospel just unfolds like that. It's really incredible. In fact, Mark chapter 1 as I see it, begins with a kickoff, six plays downfield, a timeout, and then two plays to finish the drive. All in one chapter. It's really incredible. And what I'd like to do this morning is go through each one of those plays because I believe that when we go, as we read these plays together, we're going to see a different aspect of God's character. 
come alive in these plays. We're going to see a different turn of God's heart and desire for us in each one of these plays done by Jesus. And so I want to invite you, let's go ahead and begin with the kickoff. (laughs) John the Baptist on special teams, getting the job done. And he makes a really quite incredible kickoff from the very beginning where he, we really do see God coming to the people for the people in Christ Jesus. Verse one, Gospel of Mark opens with this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So right off the bat, we see the whole thrust of the Old Testament coming to bear right in the opening words of the good news and what Jesus embodies with that good news. And here we see from Isaiah, God speaking, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark's gospel begins with movement. Movement. And every Jesus follower who reads this gospel is called to move in the same way that Jesus did. The voice foreshadowed in Isaiah's vision is John the Baptist, who called all who would listen to find new life in God's way of being, not in their own way, but in God's way, and invited them to participate in a baptism of repentance, which literally means to turn. The passage that Mark quoted in Isaiah, a couple of chapters later in Isaiah, we read God speaking through the prophet saying this, forget the former things, God says. Don't dwell on the past. Don't let the weight of your past define you. Don't live in whatever shame you might be carrying from the past. Don't let the expectations of those from your past continue to bear out on this day. Don't let your past direct the movement of your future. For God says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams, living streams of water in the wasteland. Isaiah's word describes what God would later accomplish through Jesus who makes a way home for every lost heart who digs new streams for every thirsty soul. John's wake-up call opened the eyes of a nation. Mark recorded the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Something to note about the Jordan River here. For Israel, the Jordan meant something very specific in particular. If you remember, in order for God's people to enter into the promised land, they had to cross a river. And that river was called the Jordan. And so for Israel, the Jordan signified the way into freedom, the way into new life, the way into a forever relationship with God, the way into release from the bondage of captivity, from the, from the wandering confusion in the wilderness into freedom forever with their father. For this reason, Mark opens his gospel by saying the beginning of the good news, the good news that 
the bondage of sin doesn't get the final word. That's good news. The good news that freedom forever with our Heavenly Father is possible in Christ Jesus. That's good news. The root of sin goes so deep into our lives, doesn't it? Man, so deep. On our own, we can neither loosen its snares nor remove our appetite for it. Sin tastes so good. Sometimes, I, I once heard someone say, if you don't enjoy sin, then you're not doing it right. Did Bill actually say that recently? Maybe, maybe I heard it from Pastor Bill. Anyhow, it goes deep in us. In fact, in the Revelation series, one of the interpretations that Pastor Bill offered for the millennium was that it took that long for the realization of humanity to, to go that deep with our sin. And so, on our own, we cannot undo sin from our lives. I think if we could, we would, but we can't. We need one greater than ourselves to release us from our sin. Hence why God moved to the people for the people. God moved to the people for the people to release us in Christ Jesus and truly set us free. That's quite an opening kickoff, isn't it? I mean, John the Baptist, I mean, he kicked that thing all the way to the one-yard line. I mean, it's a, that's amazing that he did. I mean, that's just the opening kickoff of the drive. After John's kickoff, Jesus took the field, the field general, and on the first play, he became anointed as the servant king in his baptism. Here's how that play unfolded. Mark writes it like this, beginning in verse 9. At the time, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, the symbol of freedom. This is Jesus' first time on the scene for his public ministry. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying this, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. In this pronouncement over Jesus, God the Father actually quotes Psalm 2-7 and Isaiah 42-1. In this mashup, this mashup is actually a quote of Psalm 2-7 and Isaiah 41. Psalm 2-7 says this, you are my son, today I have become your father. And Isaiah 42-1 states this, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Tradition says that choirs would sing Psalm 2 as a coronation song on the day of the ceremony when God's newly appointed kings would rise into power. The psalm symbolizes God's adoption over Israel's new king and his sonship, which gave the king the firstborn rights to inherit the nation, God's people. And then it committed God to lead his people, the nation of Israel, through his newly adopted son, the king. So it created this father-son type of relationship between God the Father and the King of Israel. But some of you might know that not every king did right in the Father's eyes. In fact, some kings led the whole nation far astray from God's original intention. And so here in the baptism scene, what we see happening is God the Father speaking those same words of Psalm chapter 2 over the true son, the only begotten son, not an adopted son, not an adopted king or a king that was rising up in the ranks of a family line, but, but God's begotten son, Christ Jesus, and speaking these words of sonship over him that were crowning him 
king over God's kingdom, his own nature in the form of Jesus Christ, the son, a son who would not lead God's people astray, but rather a son who would make a way for all of God's people to experience new life in relationship with God the Father forever. That's what this king did. And then in Psalm 42, what we see happening there is a direct reference to a servant who would eventually become a savior, a savior over all of God's people who would not only rescue God's people from despair, from destruction, from annihilation and exile, but a savior who would also one day save all of God's people from the bondage of sin, who is the real destroyer in our lives. So in Jesus' baptism, we actually see something quite amazing. This isn't just the beginning of his public ministry. What is happening here is that God the Father is anointing the Son as king. This is a coronation ceremony. Jesus' baptism is a coronation ceremony, anointing him as king and calling him Savior and officially sending him out. God the Father sends him out. And with the Spirit, God's Spirit coming on him in the form of this stuff, sending him out from this place to live and reign over God's kingdom as king and savior. It's a really incredible passage. And as his teammates on the field with the Messiah King, what this means for us is that Jesus calls all of those on the field with him to lead as servant leaders in the world. That's what that means. As ones who wear the same jersey as the Messiah King, we are not the Savior. Do not mistake your place on the team for the Savior or the Messiah, but do uphold your place on the, on the team as servant leader in the world and on this team, the church. We run our routes and we succeed on this team by leading with our hands open, not with clenched fists, not with calling something my own, not to say, no, that's mine, not yours. We lead with our hands open. We pray for others and for all of those on this team, and we leverage our influence to help others join the team and find their victory in Jesus. Because on this team, there isn't just the starting 11. Everyone gets a starting position on this team. Everyone has a role to play on this team. You're not just on the backup squad or the practice team getting punched around all day. You are standing on the front lines advancing God's kingdom here and now when you serve on this team and act as a servant leader. That's the first play. Jesus, I think, got the ball pretty far down the field on this first play, did he not? Amen. On the second play of the drive, what we see here is Jesus overcoming the evil one. Mark describes it like this. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Following the Father's life-giving, life-affirming, king-anointing moment in baptism, Jesus promptly and fiercely became tested in the wilderness to prove his perseverance in the face of opposition. He proved that he was not going to be like the other kings in Israel's past, where he could be easily swayed by the temptations of power or the temptations of beauty or the temptations for his own self, but rather he showed that he wasn't going to be like anything like that, but he was going to be a king for the people. He was going to be a king for each one of us, a good king, a righteous king. 
a king who would eventually clothe us in his own robes and anoint us as ones on the field with him to receive the inheritance of the kingdom. I mean, that's, that's really quite astonishing. There's so much to unpack there with that. But when you think about as one who serves on the team with King Jesus, he gave us not only the, the ability to overcome evil and overcome sin in our own lives, but he also gave us this great inheritance of the kingdom itself. He calls us ambassadors, Paul wrote, who represent the king wherever we go. We, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship belongs with the king. I mean, as that sinks in, it, it, it really creates this real sense of responsibility and weight that, whoa, like this is way more than us just getting to wear a cool jersey on game day Sunday, but this is really all about us living in the way and the rhythm of the king who made a way home for us. This move also reminds us that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, as Paul wrote, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As we seek to follow in the way of Jesus, let us remember who our true enemy is. And I'll give you a hint, it's not your spouse. <laughs> it's not your coworker. It's not your boss. It's not people who believe differently against you. It's not people who have a different, different name checked off in their voting card. Our, our enemy is not against those who look and feel like us. That's, that's, that's what Jesus demonstrates here by going out into the wilderness and what Paul writes in Ephesians. Our enemy is against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our enemy. Let's make sure that we remember who the, who the right opponent is. We need to remember that it's not people wearing the same jersey as us. We might disagree, but we always disagree without dishonoring, and we always disagree without blaming and shifting identity and kicking people off the team. The teams that win the championships are the ones who learn how to overcome their differences, to stay united against the right opponent. I don't know of any teams who won the championship because they were fighting and getting up all in each other's business and grills and, and not aligning to the mission behind what was driving them. Do you know any teams that won championships like that? I don't. I know teams who won championships because they stayed aligned together and they worked out their differences with kindness and compassion toward one another. Third player of the drive, we see Jesus coming up close and personal to embody his good news salvation. Mark writes it like this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus announces the nearness of the kingdom because he's near. Because the king embodies the kingdom. And that kingdom is one of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what makes up that kingdom. On the fourth play of this drive, we see Jesus drafting the team, bringing, bringing his dudes together. Here's how Mark described it in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen which is our cue that that wasn't a good thing. 
Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. On this plate, Jesus drafted the team, but the guys that Jesus drafted were all the guys that all the rabbis rejected. (laughs) These were not first-round draft picks. These were dudes who came from poor families, came from family names that were not prominent in the community. And these guys by themselves, the reason why they were fishing was because not only did the rabbis not pick them up to carry on their tradition of learning and teaching, but probably some other tradesmen didn't pick them up either. And so these guys were at the bottom rung of the totem pole, which tells us as this team that if you feel like you're at the bottom rung of the totem pole yourself, or maybe you don't feel like a first-round draft pick, then you sit in good company. You sit in good company with the very ones who launched the movement that we're now participating in right now called the church. These guys who are at the bottom of the barrel were the guys upon which Jesus invested his time and let loose in the world to advance his kingdom. And John even wrote, Jesus saying, who would do even greater things than these, meaning even greater things than Jesus himself was doing. Oh my, I mean, that blows my mind right there that we get to participate in that as his teammates on the field sharing the same jersey on the same mission, working toward the same victory that we can do with the power of God's spirit alive in us, even greater things than Jesus did in his three years of public ministry. Amazing, amazing. Fifth play. Jesus releases humanity from the grips of evil. Here's how John, I'm sorry, here's how Mark writes that in verse 21. They went to Capernaum. So again, they're just moving from one thing to the next, play after play. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Bit condemning against the teachers of the law and how they taught. But just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So even the demons know Jesus. I mean, so much happening in Mark's gospel. Be quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed. (laughs) I mean, this is just church, you know? I mean, this is like, I mean, the people gathered at synagogue for church. And so imagine this happening in the church gathering. And the people asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. In this play, we witness Jesus willingly, willingly choose to move toward evil and release its grips on us. One theologian wrote of this passage, when the church learns again, how to speak and act with the same authority which you have been called to speak and act, we will find both the saving power of God unleashed once more 
and a similar height and opposition from the forces of darkness because the enemy is out there. And as we, as we go down the field with Jesus, the defense is only gonna work all the harder to keep us from scoring that touchdown, that promised touchdown. You know, I believe Jesus spoke with authority because he offered worth and dignity to every human being created in the image of God. And he also clarified the opponent. You know, when a quarterback knows the playbook, empowers every player on the team and clarifies how to overcome the opponent in victory, then every player on that team places their trust in that quarterback, do they not? Every player on that team says, I'm with you. You call the play and I'm gonna run it. That's exactly what's happening here in Jesus. He's calling the plays and for the first time, opening the eyes of the people to the true opponent and who God sees as worthy and full of dignity. And the hint to that is every person created in the image of God has worth and dignity. He doesn't say, hey, the true opponent is this half of the synagogue and the teammates are this half of the synagogue. He frees those trapped by the opponent to live in freedom and says, all of you belong to me. All of you who place your trust in me belong to me. All of you who have been created in God's image, you belong to me. Six play the drive. We see Jesus restoring the hurting, sick and brokenhearted. On this play, Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And after hearing about what happened, we read in Mark's gospel that the whole town brought their sick, broken, and hurting to Jesus. And do you know what Jesus did? He healed every single one. He didn't leave a single person out. He saw every broken heart. He saw every ailment. He saw every predicament and said, I'm your savior. I remember creating you. You're created in my image. And healing now comes to you. In this play, we witnessed Jesus move toward the hurting, sick, and brokenhearted. He spared nothing to see those created in his own image become restored by his own hand. And he calls all of those on the team to move, move in that direction. Which means if we're on the team, we need in some way in our lives, we need to be stepping out in that direction. We need to be stepping out toward the brokenhearted, toward the hurting, toward the sick, and helping them find their savior in Jesus. Now, just before the seventh play, Jesus called a timeout. Okay, six big plays on the field, six plays in the drive, timeout. Mark writes this, he took time out to pursue intimacy and rest with the Father. Mark describes it like this in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house where he was staying and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Because even though fully God, Jesus was also a human being. And he modeled for us that we can't, we can't play every down without taking a time of rest, without a time of intimacy with the Father. And so as teammates on the field with them, what this means for us is daily, daily, we need, to be, we need to be thinking first thought, first move, seek first the kingdom of God. We need to find space in our lives daily to read over the playbooks, to invest into God's word, to pursue intimacy with our heavenly father who is the giver and sustainer of life and to not forsake the gathering. 
Because what happens during this one hour every single week really matters. It's like a player saying, I can, I can show up to practice when I want and then expect to play my full best on game day. That's what this is. Think of this like the practice field. We're giving our worship to God. We're hanging with the team. We're communing and experiencing intimacy with the Father. We're opening up God's word. We're learning so that during the week we can take what we learn and everything we experience out onto the, out onto the game field. We can actually start making some plays. We can reach for the one hand of grabs and take confidence in ourselves because the spirit lives in us that we're going to bring it down. Amen? Let's not forsake the gathering. Don't forsake intimacy with the Father. When we live connected with Jesus, we abide with the giver and sustainer of life. Timeout's over. We're going into the seventh play. And on that seventh play, Jesus shows and tells the good news. Now rest and ready. Man, he's ready to start calling it again. He says this in Mark 38. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also because that's why I've come. I mean, you got to love this. I mean, you can, you can sense that Jesus feels rested <laughs> because he's like, all right, I'm ready. Here we go. We're going to make some more plays because that's why I've come to show and tell the good news so as those on the field with them, let's go out and do the same. Let's embody this good news, and let's show and tell it whenever we get the opportunity to do so. Eighth and final play. Jesus does something extraordinary on this play, and something, quite frankly, that really surprised me as I started unpacking it. Jesus leads with self-awareness and emotional health. Here's how Mark describes it. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed just begging to be, if you're, if you're willing, Jesus. I mean, you can imagine the scene. Just imagine those moments in your life maybe where you felt really down or maybe you felt sick and needed healing. I mean, imagine the, the bargaining that went on in your head. God, please, please heal me. God, please help me. Please restore my heart. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, the man said. Here's how Mark described Jesus' response. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. I am willing, Jesus said. Be healed. In this passage, Jesus shows us something extraordinary in this passage. And that is this, that Jesus was attuned with his own body, with his own emotional health, with his emotions, and what he was experiencing and feeling in this life. In fact, in verse 41, the term Mark used for compassion is this really incredible word called splanknitsomai. Splanknitsomai literally translates to the turning over of your guts. So remember those times when you felt a certain way about someone when you said, man, my, my stomach's churning for this person. I feel this all the way in my gut. Mark would say, well, you're experiencing splinks need so much. <laughs> and that's exactly what Jesus experienced in verse 41, which means this, that is, as men and women on his team, wearing the same jersey as him, we don't ignore our emotions. We're not afraid of our emotions. We're, we're, not, we're not afraid of what we're feeling. In fact, what we ought to do when we experience something, maybe even before we act on something, we ought to go to Jesus in prayer and say, man, I'm feeling all torn up inside. What might that be about? Man, I'm feeling like my guts are turning over for this person that I didn't expect or for this person who I thought was my enemy or for this person who, who I don't even know. And something's happening in me. 
What's happening in me, Jesus? Show me, and I'm going to trust that you will show me, because while you lived on this earth, you also experienced splanknizomai, and you paid attention to it. You didn't run from it. You didn't ignore it. But you said, I am willing. I am willing because I'm moved by you. Because I see you as one created in my image. Jesus calls us to stay healthy in this game. Even in Jesus' greatest commandment for us, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Heart means the well-being of your life. And with all your soul, your emotional health, with all of your mind, your thoughts, and your attitude, with all your strength, your body, and your behaviors, and then he says, and love your neighbor in the same way. With all of your emotional health, with all of your body, with all your strength, with all of your mind, with all of your whole being. Team, we need each other now more than ever because we live in a world isolated. We live in a world far from God. We also live in a world where there's a real enemy on the loose. There's a real opponent in this game. Let's not, let's not shy away from that. Let's not fear that. Let's instead, let's walk together in that. Let's play this game like there's a, a real enemy that Jesus promised to defeat it, and we have an opportunity to make some one-handed grabs in the play. <laughs> let's move forward. In Mark chapter 1, the plays he called in Jesus where Christ came to the people for the people in the kickoff. On the first play, he became anointed as servant king, overcame the evil one, comes up close and personal to embody good news, salvation. He called together his team. He released humanity from the grips of evil. He restored the hurting, sick, and brokenhearted, took a time out to pursue intimacy with the Father, showed and told the good news, and he led with self-awareness and emotional health. And so as those on his team, here's what we get to do. We get to go to the people for the people. We get to go to the people for the people. We get to act as a servant leader. We get to overcome sin. Embody Christ's salvation in our lives. Lead with character and humility on our family team, on our work team, on our church team. Live free and sober-minded. Admit our need for healing and receive restoration. We take time outs to abide with Christ in rest and intimacy. We show and tell the good news, and we live with self-awareness and emotional health. This is the playbook to the faith. This is discipleship. If you've ever wondered to, to yourself, what does it look like for me to engage, in, you know, engage with Jesus and follow him and, and live in the rhythms of discipleship, this is what it looks like. This is it. And in Mark chapter one, there's so much more to discover. Now, some of you might be thinking, man, this really feels like a lot. This is a lot of plays to run. So this week, my encouragement to you is focus on just one. As we read through these together, which one, which one gripped you? Which one might you be intentionally turning away from? Pay attention to the spirit. Listen to the movement happening in your own heart so that we can take steps together and move toward a world in need. We need all of us on the field together. Over the next 21 days, we will be entering into a time of prayer together. You received this as you walk in today. I want to invite you to engage in the next 21 days with us in prayer, with your team in prayer. 
And as we do that, I want us to intentionally keep our eyes open and pay attention to what faces we see coming up in our own mind's eye and imagination over people who need to hear and experience the good news of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. We're only three weeks out from this. And what we see in the opening chapter of Mark's gospel is that Jesus didn't wait. Jesus moved with intentionality and urgency. We need to move in the same way toward those in need. And so I want to invite you to write those names on this card. If you can't think of seven names and you can only think of maybe two or three or four, then write those names down and then allow God's spirit to keep your eyes open for who he might be leading you to fill in the rest of those names. And then together, let's take a step of courage together, a step of strength and invite them on Easter Sunday. Let's bring them in proximity. We'll be praying on social media, and so all of our social media connections are right here. I wanna encourage you every day to visit it, even for just one minute, because that's how long those prayers will be, one minute. And let's stay oriented and aligned together toward the movement that Jesus is sparking in us right now. I wanna offer the first prayer for our time together in this movement. And I want to invite you to bow with me. Jesus, thank you for coming all the way to us, for coming to us, for us, for making your salvation available to us, and for making a way home to the Father in a way that only a good and perfect king could do. And so, Lord, as we receive your forgiveness and your salvation, Lord, as we experience your grace anew, Lord, keep our eyes open. Help us see others in our community, in our families, in our workplaces with your eyes. Help us not to see them as the enemy, but God, help us see them as you see them, as ones created in your image, and give us the courage to move toward them and move for them to make an invitation for them to join us on Easter and experience your new life. Jesus, we make this prayer in your name. Amen. Now, for those of you who want to take your first step of salvation today, maybe you're thinking, I want to begin this. I want to, I want to begin this journey. I don't want to do my life alone anymore, but I'm ready to get with Jesus. Then I want to invite you to take this prayer with me now. Jesus, I'm turning from my way to your way. I receive your forgiveness. And today I'm letting you carve new streams of life in me. Lord, from this moment forward, I'm yours. And so help me. Help me take my steps with you. Help me when I fall short. And help me walk hand in hand, arm in arm with your team, the church, as we make this prayer in the name of your son. Now, if you prayed this prayer with me and you would like to start your life anew today in salvation, then I just want to invite you to lift your hand so I can see you and say a prayer of blessing on you. I also want to invite those online to do so as well, if you feel so led to do that. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Jesus, for every hand raised, we give thanks. And we pray that your spirit now comes upon them and changes their life. 
God, we pray that you would move them with us on this team. And God, together we pray that you would give all of us courage, all of us strength to move, to keep going, to not live in fear, to not live stagnant, but to move with you. And we trust that as we do, you will see us in the end zone. And together we can score touchdowns for you as we invite people to come in range to receive your salvation. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we offer this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.